0: they're not gonna have the full context. You have to trust yourself. Uh, So when you're getting advice, listen to it always, of course, uh, but execute on what you think is best, not necessarily what people have told you you have to do.
1: And now, your podcast hosts, Andre and Christian. Hello, and welcome to Connecting for Future, the podcast where we explore the latest trends and insights in business, technology, and society. I'm your host, Christian, and with me is my co-host, Andre. André, how are you today?
2: I'm great, Christian. I'm really excited about our guest today. Actually, she's the first woman in our show, so uh, it's the first. Um, Karen, we're really glad to have you. You're a true innovator and a real role model for women in tech, so great to have you here.
0: Thank you so much. I'm I'm excited. It's going to be cool.
1: Karen, you have been recognized as one of the top women innovators in tech. Can you tell us a little bit about the, your journey and your motivation in pursuing innovation?
0: Of course. I'm, uh, I've i had the pleasure of uh, stumbling into uh, computer um, computer science studies. Uh, that was actually a friend of mine who recommended. I'd never programmed before. I didn't really know what Java was or any of the other programming languages, but I I loved math, and uh, I was told that you're going to love this as well, uh, and I absolutely did. Uh, I fell in love with all of the opportunities that technology provides. I uh, I never looked back. To be honest, it's a it's a whole world that you can explore and invent, and nothing's been discovered yet, right? <laughs> I uh, that, I find that very exciting.
2: <laughs> awesome, that's great. Um, so, Karen, you you founded No Isolation in 2015, I believe. Can you tell us a little bit more about your business? uh, What are you doing? Why are you doing it? And how it's going?
0: Yes, of course, André. We've had the pleasure of over the past seven years working with what we call warm technology. Uh, And this all started uh, in 2015 uh, when a friend of mine, she was working as a nurse at a children's ward and she was mentioning in just bypassing that these kids were... Uh, lying there on their own, that they weren't getting any visitors, uh, and that everyone told them to focus on getting better. Uh, And I reached out to two amazing people that I knew from my previous job at something called Startup Lab, which is a tech incubator. Uh, So I'd I'd kind of been colleagues with them without working for the same company, because there's a lot of startups uh, at Startup Lab. Uh, And I reached out to Marius and Matthias and told them about these kids and said, hey, we between the three of us we can build something to make that their life slightly easier uh, and we didn't know what we were going to end up building uh, but we all three of us agreed that if if technology can be cold it can also be warm it's uh, it's simply a tool that you design uh, and create to do the task you have at hand right uh, and we started doing research into these kids found that social isolation is a it's not only a problem for this demographic, but it's it's very broad. Uh, so we named the company No Isolation, still not knowing what products we were going to build. <laughs> uh, ended up, uh, for the kids, building a telepresence robot called ab one uh, that lets them go to school uh, through the robot. And then uh, later we we made a computer the world's simplest computer i would even venture to say uh, for the otherwise analog so if you have a dementia diagnose or or anything stopping you from using normal technology we've built a computer for you uh, and i hope in future that we we get to tackle all of the demographics in society that that's struggling with social isolation and see if we can if we can create technology that will if not solve it entirely then at least help uh, so that's what we do. That's
2: really great, Karen. I mean, Christian and I, we, we started this podcast series, Connecting for Future, because we believe that technology can make an impact in life and that we can tackle a lot of challenges with the use of technology. And, and your company is such a great example of, of uh, doing exactly that. So so in the beginning, you didn't have a, an aim to make money. Is that correct? It was really the purpose of helping?
0: Yeah. Uh, so we've uh, we are a for-profit company, and I I think it's quite important for me to prove that the people out there trying to do good should and can also be the people making uh, making the most money. I think uh, it's terrible to think that the oil companies can make as much as they want to, but uh, the the do-gooders cannot. That's uh, kind of uh, yeah. There's a logical brist in there somewhere. Um, but yeah, we've. Uh, We've all three of us have started companies before. Uh, We knew that we wanted to create a workplace for ourselves that we're, yeah, in seven years down the line uh, where I'm sitting today, I'm as motivated. Uh, And I also think it was crucial, or I know it's crucial for the three of us to, to not be centered around the technology itself, but rather the problem we're solving. And then if we tomorrow find a better technical solution for the problem, then we can legitimately swap to that rather than hang on to to some kind of idea that the technology we've developed is the best because that will keep changing, right? Uh,
1: and it's really fascinating, right? So I still remember Karen at the last CBIT, right? There was also you guys with no isolation together with Vodafone. And this is such a great solution, right? So ever since I was always pushing, saying, Hey look, we have to speak to Karen. And it's truly amazing what you guys do. And I can also believe it's also not easy, right? So if you think about schools getting no isolation into a school, everybody's very protective, right? Saying, ah, showing the kids with cameras and the sound. How did you guys work this out? Does it work across Europe? Do you got like some barriers still?
0: Yeah, no, it's... uh it's been a long journey. Uh, we've learned a lot over the past seven years. So we're with the with the robot. We're scaling much faster now than we've been able to the previous years. Because um, we we have to take every privacy security issue and like. We have to take it much more seriously than any normal startup. Uh, we are obviously placing cameras in classrooms where uh, we often have our user operating the robot from a hospital screen that, uh, or scenery, and that means you're you're stepping into every minefield <laughs> that you can possibly imagine, and you gonna <laughs> you you need to be on your toes and do do everything right. Um, but it's been. Uh, the most exciting part has actually been to start scaling in Germany. We started that journey two years ago. Uh, and Germany is, um, without question, uh, the strictest country in Europe. Uh, we're being asked the most questions there, but they're also the most organized. So uh, our work in Germany is paving way for all of the other markets in terms of um, it being made central decisions on whether or not our, uh, our we're delivering on the GDPR and, good enough right it's and we can bring that back and take it to the uk and say like hey here's the documentation that we showed uh the german government and they were happy with this and then it's like oh yeah it's fine <laughs> so uh i'm i'm pinpointing it a bit uh but it's still it, it's been a long uh long journey i think on those questions we're good now but on you have to do all of this information to all of these stakeholders in the right order. And, and we've quite often experienced that teachers, if they see the robot for the first time uh, on Instagram, they think it's uh, something American, something cool, something the kids want, do, 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 and not a, not a serious tool to bring these kids back into school. Like how can we use this to reintegrate them? So the teachers need information to come through formal channels. They need uh, they need the right amount of text so that they don't just put it away, but also get enough uh, facts about how this works, why it is safe to use. Uh, and yeah, we're uh, managing all of these stakeholders and trying to find out how to introduce it as quickly as possible.
2: Yeah, I mean, for the teachers, for the teachers, I think that there's a big challenge, right? I mean, my kids, yeah. they're, they're in, in, in second and third grade currently, and they all got iPads, right? But uh i have the feeling that the technology is there but it's it's hard for the teachers to understand what can be done with tech and you know how do they implement it into the normal day of a school and i I could imagine it's the same with your technology
0: yeah and it's a very i think healthy skepticism out there now that people they don't want to just implement anything and especially not in a classroom setting and uh, all across Europe, teachers have been forced to start using tools that they're not necessarily comfortable with, tools that has not been made for or adapted properly to the classroom. Uh, so the teachers are one of the groups that have seen this really go wrong or move too fast, right? And then we come with a robot uh, and that becomes kind of a symbol of, oh, my God, now we're there. Now there's going to be robots here as well. What? Like <laughs> No, we're not going to take that. But uh, AB1... Has been developed for a classroom setting. It requires nothing from the teacher. It is one child logging on and attending their class like they're supposed to. So when we when we get the information through, like this is this is what it will actually require from you, and this is how it would look and feel. And and you are safe. the uh, The parents aren't watching you. There's no one else logging in. You're not being streamed or broadcasted anywhere. Uh, once we get that message across we're good because it's it's very far from being another ipad in the classroom it's uh, it's much much more secure than that <laughs> well they already have the ipads and there
1: right and is a uh, you actually also supporting this topic or do you need to go country by country and always have to wrestle those policies
0: yes we are wrestling every policy uh we've talked that uh uh, political level in all three of our main markets, which is Germany, UK, and Nordics. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's been quite a job, uh, but at the same time, I think maybe it will make it hard for someone to catch up with us if they would want to compete. For now, we're quite alone in in targeting this uh, this user group, but it's yeah, absolutely it's tough going. going. <laughs>
1: So Germany is one of the biggest markets, Karen. And can you talk about like just roughly around like how many robots do you guys already have actively?
0: Yeah, there's uh, quite exactly 2,400 robots. We just passed that uh, in 18 European countries. Uh, so it's, um, it's very cool. It's, yeah, a quarter of them are in the UK, uh, almost a quarter in Germany, uh, and then spread across the Nordic countries. Uh, it's third and then rest and like a couple in romania and a couple in france and spread out
2: so in, in the setup is always that per per student that not that's not in the classroom i have one uh robot instead
0: yes so it's uh everyone is extremely personal tool uh, and we sell it for for the kids who are out for a long period of time so if you have cancer or severe social anxiety is one of the groups that are growing the most. Uh, or if you've been through um, an injury that is really incapacitating, then uh, AB1 is for you. And if you, if you look at the design, you're probably going to share some photos. I don't know. But it's, um, it's designed as a blank slate uh, and to not have too much uh, of a personality in itself because we want the kids to give it their own personality, put stickers on it, draw on it like you would on a cast if you bro- broke your arm and name it yourself which is why it's called av1 super boring name and that's on purpose because most of our kids name it like bumblebee and uh, mine is k-dog and uh, you give it the robot name that you think it should have which uh, which makes it your tool and you use it to go to school and then no one else can kind of use your robot
2: and do you sell these robots karen or is it kind of a subscription model
0: No, most 98% of cases are municipalities buying the robot and they're buying fleets. Uh, So that's what we're working towards everywhere. We haven't gotten as far uh, in Germany yet. So there we still cooperate with a lot of charities. Uh, That has been a good way to enter a market for us to, to team up with the Children's Cancer Association, for example, and say, okay, we're... Uh, in partnership, we're gonna launch this. We're gonna um, uh, give it to these kids and then let the schools see how it works because the, the schools also needs to see this work in field and not just like we did this in in London here's <laughs> here's the example, but actually get to try it themselves and then and then we always go to uh, municipalities or comuna or similar and local government. So that the schools can take them out on demand. Uh, and this is quite crucial for us because if we are, if you try to connect AV1 and the child from, from the starting point, like, okay, now Alex, he got a cancer diagnose, he needs a robot. If the school or municipality is gonna make a decision, it's gonna take three months for Alex to get a no, robot, okay. maybe six months, because that's um, like purchasing uh, anything takes the municipalities a long time. But uh, whenever they have a small fleet, they can give Alex a robot tomorrow, and then they can upstock with uh, if they need more. So it's that's proved to be the model that works the absolute best. So uh, that's what we're yeah. Doing that's now.
2: really cool. So w- one question around the Corona pandemic: Did that really help actually boost your business?
0: Oh, Corona was such a strange time for us. Because uh, to be honest, AV1 uh, the robot got. Um, a real punch on the nose, because the schools and municipalities they were very otherwise occupied. So all of the dialogues that we had, they so kind of the
2: priorities of, you know, shifted started. away from your business. Okay, yeah,
0: yeah, from helping the few kids who couldn't go to school to kind of set up something that worked for everyone. Uh, what it did help with uh, substantially was awareness that no one's home. Because they are lazy. Like, being at home for a long or extended period and only attending digitally, it is not fun. Even if you can stay on your couch, like, that's not the ideal <laughs> way of uh, way of being. And it also boosted the other side of our company with Comp, the senior computer, that kind of went through the roof. Because that demographic was, yeah, even more isolated than the rest. And all of a sudden, the need for digital tools uh, was much higher. So we... All in all, our year end results were as expected, but they were completely shifted on their heads in terms of where the revenue came from. Right, yeah,
1: that's interesting. And Karen, like when new startups want to change something in tech, do you have like advice for uh, startups, what they can do in order to make some impact in technology? Oh,
0: I think that's, it's a very good question. I, my my number one advice, regardless of, of what kind of impact you want to make is is to find a problem that you that you yourself find motivating and, and that you want to solve and see solved because <laughs> i i constantly find myself with with this joy of seeing that okay it is actually better now than it was 7 years ago we've made a dent and i can give you numbers on how many kids have actually had a better life because we made something tailored to them uh, and i think we wouldn't have been able to to reach that type of impact or to say confidently that we are making lives better if we hadn't picked problem first. Uh, if you're always trying to back-prove how what you've made makes an impact, then then you'll struggle from the get-go. But if you know that this is what I'm going to solve and measure and then build on top of that, it will be super
2: Yeah, <laughs> I think this is a great advice for, for any company, not just the, the startups, yeah. right? Also for for the space we are in, Christian, because I think uh, if you tackle the problems, understand customer problems, and then try to help there, it's always a good yeah. I- idea to exactly. do that, right?
0: Yeah, but but many people, and quite often, and maybe especially in, in big companies, you see, we have this stack, what problems are is this stack solving? And then you start cherry picking the problems that you feel fit with what you have. And, and it becomes an issue because You don't know if that's the only thing it does or if it does something more or differently or if it hits the mark perfectly and i that's what i love about this problem first type of thinking because you'll end up building the best solution to solve that problem rather than saying i have this solution and it kind of fits with this problem
2: yeah that's true i mean that's uh, some great advice Uh, just a personal question Uh, um we we are in the tech space and we are in the sales and marketing environment and we are still lacking women in in what we do. So so it, it it's a fact that you know any company like ours that are, is in that space, we, we always try to understand you know how can we attract more women uh, for this kind of yeah. work. W- what what is your advice, especially for for us as men, to help change oh. that?
0: It's also a brilliant question. I. Uh... We've faced it at no isolation as well, we, we obviously develop technologies, we recruit quite a lot of engineers uh, and in engineering it's not easy finding finding that gender balance and we've not succeeded at it yet. Um, I think the, the most crucial thing we are doing practically is through recruitment and making sure that we have, because there are all of these amazing systems now that actually is designed to take away our bias. Uh, and bias is always there. So no matter how kind and nice and whatever you want to be, uh, you will have bias and that bias will lead you towards people that you understand, people that you can recognize parts of yourself in or others that you know well. So a uh, men who has amazing female role models in their lives will be much more likely to pick women for like crucial precision because they, they know that this is, uh, this is something that uh, someone they know can do. Uh, but I think these new new tools for eliminating bias through recruitment is just so crucial and then I think a lot of big companies like Vodafone you're doing a good job of of lifting a few women up and like showing them off and that's not necessarily always comfortable for the woman being picked up and shown off but it's like i i I also recognize the importance of of showing that it can be done uh and in in STEM, I've had a a lot of um, a lot of chats with the people recruiting to STEM subjects in the university uh, in Oslo, and there it's also about creating this environment where women stay, because uh, that's maybe the greatest um, issue the universities are having. That when you see uh, the application rates for for uh, computer science, it's kind of equal, like it's it's 40, 60 uh, or better. Uh, but then the women drop out. Yeah. And that's devastating, right? And that means they they actually have to make it better at campus, make it better during the courses. Like, who has designed these courses? How are they going through it? I said, Are there mistakes that have been made in here? And there always has. Like, a lot of the subjects I was taking assumed that you had been doing a lot of gaming. Now, I have been gaming a bit, so that's fine for me. Uh, but if you look at it, uh, like, from... From a bigger perspective more guys have been gamers growing up than girls and if the course is designed to assume that you know world of warcraft then then you're kind of forcing the demographic who doesn't know about that out and and those type of tiny things is just it's crucial
1: yeah interesting and in regards to the um university of oslo karen (laughs) um Look at yeah. just look at you personally, right? You are always full of energy. You are smiling. But this is this also because of I've never been to Oslo or Norway, which I still have to do. But Norway is also yeah. constantly ranked as one of the happiest places on earth. How does this translate into the tech industry?
0: Oh a difficult question to answer i've uh i've always been surprised that we are one of the happiest countries on earth because you whenever i go anywhere else i feel like people are so much <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, i um
0: yeah the thing that is definitely correlated between the happiness course and how we can develop technology in the industry here is that there's an amazing security, like the, the security that you have as an individual is quite extreme in Norway. So I know that if my startup flops uh, tomorrow, I won't have to move back to my mom's place. Like the government will take care of me, uh, not at the same level as having a job, but, but solidly. And I think for average happiness of course it matters to know that you're you're safe you're you're not going to live on the streets that that's a huge relief for most of us uh and for for the tech industry as well it means that you can take more risk you can you can think differently you can recruit differently because others can take more risk as well Uh so i that's the only thing that i can think of that's very like binding them together
1: and also not just young people but also older people are struggling with isolation right so um many young people are feeling disconnected especially with the rise of social media how can we address this issue and help young people build meaningful connections
0: oh my uh, i know i've been complimenting your question so far but this is my absolute favorite um So everything that has to do with loneliness is perception-based. You yourself uh, feel lonely, and then it's true. Uh, It has nothing to do with how many people are around you. You can be lonely in a workplace uh, and have a fantastic social life outside, or vice versa. You can be married and still be very lonely. So perception is reality
2: is what you're saying, right?
0: Perception is reality, and that makes it hard to do something about systematically, right? Because... Uh what social media has done, which is terrible, is to raise people's uh, expectation levels. So uh, a 19-year-old 20 years ago might not think that I'm supposed to do something every Saturday night. But now you're seeing that everyone else is doing something Saturday night or everyone else, because you're obviously not seeing everyone. You're seeing a few, <laughs> the few people who have posted something. But we've raised We've raised expectation levels, uh, which is horrendous because our own expectation levels is what sets our perception of being lonely or not. And the best example of this is that you can look at two meals, uh, breakfast on Tuesday morning or dinner on a Friday night. Uh, and eating the Friday night dinner on your own might be experienced as that's, that's quite sad. Uh, but Tuesday morning, you don't care. You're going to eat it alone. Doesn't matter. Uh, so it's our perception of what is that meal supposed to be that defines whether or not the moment is experienced as lonely. And uh, a grandmother in Spain who gets visitors twice a week will experience herself as much more lonely than a Nordic grandmother getting two visitors a week. Because the Nordic grandmother's like, fuck yes, I got two visitors this week, that's good. Uh, that was what she was expecting. And I... Uh, I think on a national or even global level, we should work very hard to educate people on this. Because the second you know, you can start working on your expectations of yourself. Like, okay, it is okay to eat dinner alone on a Friday. Uh, It is okay to not go out every Friday night. Uh, It is okay to to not have a million friends. Uh, And all of these things that kind of messes us up are in our heads. (laughs) But someone needs to tell us that... Uh, yeah we we should lower or adjust at least our expectations of ourselves because uh, it can actually be quite or have devastating health effects to go around and constantly feel like you're not living up to what you think you should be
2: um, That's really a meaningful sorry, uh, conversation answer. we have with you karen really we really appreciate it very cool so christian should we start our quick fire round? what you think Yes, let's start with the first one, André Zeros. So what's your favorite business book, Karen?
0: Oh, uh, Zero to One, Peter Thiel. I don't particularly, I'm not a fan of him personally. I think he's done a lot of uh, not so great things, but he's obviously done a lot of great things as well, uh, including this book. (laughs) Ah, cool.
1: Now I got a good one. You are starting as a CEO in a huge global organization and you can decide your own salary. How much would that be and why? 1.2
0: 1.2 million Norwegian kroners, which would translate to, uh, with today's currency, 100,000 euros, I think. Uh, and then I'd love to have a bonus end of the year if it went really well and my employees scored my work good.
2: Well that's a, that's a, yeah. a specific answer. We didn't expect that. Very cool, Karen, thank you.
0: It is exactly how much you can make before it stops mattering on your well-being in Norway now. Like there's always a threshold like you need to as long as you make more you will be like generally more satisfied. Uh, That roof is now at 1.2 million Norwegian kroners or 100,000 euros. Uh, And then money will stop providing you happiness uh, and just be a luxury Uh, so I think I'd love to be exactly on that roof and then maybe bonus end of year that I can spend on something that won't make me happy but maybe make everyone else happy I don't know
2: (laughs) makes sense so Karen weekend is coming up chilling or partying and don't say working please
0: no, chilling would be my preferred, but it won't be. It won't be neither of those because I have a one-year-old, so I will she, not she be will chilling. Be and I will not be partying. <laughs> she will be partying. This is true. Uh, I will be running a hundred kilometers an hour after her, trying to stop her from falling off. I uh, can
2: relate just... to that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Wait, and Karen, do you still have one special advice for? Um, especially for leadership, for young leaders who want to do something?
0: Yes. So for young leaders in particular, I think it's crucial to find uh, some people in your life that you trust and that you can actually go to with all of the practical issues that you will be having. Uh, There's going to be many. Uh, And I think they shouldn't have a formal uh, role in your company or around you, but rather be advisors, mentors, you can call it wherever you want. Uh, I think the formal title is much less important than this being someone you trust. Uh, And I think, secondly, that you need to trust yourself after that. Because there's way too many young leaders, and I've seen this with myself, I've seen this in Startup Lab, that listens too much and executes too much based on other people's advice. Uh, But if you are leading a company or project or team, you are the only one who really knows all of the details. So ma- no matter how much board members you have or uh, investors or yeah, well-meaning advisors, they're not going to have the full context. You have to trust yourself. Uh, so when you're getting advice, listen to it always, of course, uh, but execute on what you think is best, not necessarily what people have told you you have to do.
1: Well, Karen, it's been great having you on the show today. Before we wrap up, you built such a great business, right? And if anybody wants to know more about No Isolation, go on the website on No Isolation. And also, if any organization wants to spend some money, right? So I still remember if you are, like, organized in Lions Club and you still have some leftovers, look at No Isolation, spend some money, and do something good.
0: Yes, agreed. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Andrei Grishin. It was was such a pleasure. Thank you, Karen.
1: Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to Connecting for Future. We'll be back next shortly with more insights into the world of technology. Please hit the follow button to stay ahead for future episodes. All the best and take care, your podcast hosts André and Christian.